fact that we've gotten to worship you and to give to you. And now we pray, God, that, you're, that we would give to you as we allow your Holy Spirit to teach us and to lead us and to, to guide us in all truth, Father. We know it's your word is, the, is so powerful and so, so is the very thing that changes our lives. So, God, we pray that as we hear your words this morning, God, may they be your words, not mine, but they, may we allow them, God, to do a work in us that only you really deeply understand and know what we really need. So, God, we ask you to do that, whatever it is we need, but help us to be receptive to it. In Christ's name, amen. Well, this morning, in this morning's passage, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at how, as followers of Jesus, we are meant to really see ourselves. How, how are we to see ourselves in the light of what God has called us to accomplish while we're here on earth? Because it's one thing to say, okay, I know I'm a believer, I know I'm supposed to share my faith, and anything, but... How do we actually see that? What, is that? what does that look like when I picture myself as someone who has been called to share the love of Christ with others? Because we know that we've all been given this task to be witnesses for Jesus, of making the, the good news of the gospel known to people and to make disciples. And this is our, really, as followers of Jesus, this is our mission in life. This is, this is our deepest calling. Yet, really, in order to understand or to, or to accomplish this mission, like I, said, like I said, in order to be able to do this, fulfill this calling, it's really important that we understand the proper mindset, really, that should accompany that calling. It's interesting. If you want to understand the whole idea of mindset, there's a great mi book out there called Mindset. It's been written recently, and I can't remember the author's name right offhand, but it's a newer book that talks about the whole idea of how our mindset shape how we approach things, how we approach problems, how we approach situations in this world, and how certain people have fixed mindsets that are make it really difficult for them to move forward into areas and to really try to try new things because what if something happens? What, what, what I don't know what to do because this is the way I think things are going to happen versus those that have more of a growth mindset, a mindset that says, I'm going to do this. I'm going to try this. And you know what? If I fail, you know what? That's fine, because you know what? I'll learn something from that, because I want to learn. I want to grow in my life. And we really need to take that same approach as we approach what does it mean to be a witness for Christ, okay? Because we need to understand what this mindset, because our mindsets really are, it's the way we think. When, you say, when someone says you're our mindset, it's how we think. It's, the, it's really the ideas and the attitudes that we have that really ultimately determine how we approach every situation. I don't have time to give examples, but you can think about that yourself, about how your mindset, how you already think about life and your fears or anxieties or whatever, and how that mindset already determines how you're going to approach someone. You know what it's like to approach someone that you're intimidated to talk to, or you're in an intimidating situation, you bring a mindset into that situation that is going to cause you to react in a certain way. And the same thing is true in being a witness for Christ. And today what we're going to do is we're going to see the importance that our mindset is for being able to fulfill this task of being a witness for Christ. So, so far in our study in the book of Acts, we've been looking at really this profound impact that the gospel is having in Jerusalem, right? We've been seeing just literally at times thousands of people will come to the, come to the Lord. So the, the church is growing exponentially. It's just, it's just really blowing up. Um, 
So we're seeing that this, this is happening, but up until this point, it's only been happening in Jerusalem, okay? It's only been happening in that kind of corner of the world, okay, and, and maybe in the surrounding towns, but it hasn't really gone far, yet as we're going to see this morning, la- remember last week we saw that Stephen was martyred, remember last week? So what we're going to see is his martyrdom, which we looked at, is actually a key turning point for the early church because what it does, it actually sets the stage for the gospel now to go beyond Jerusalem, for it to really get out there. This is where we left off last week, okay? Stephen was stoned to death uh, for defending his faith. And this week, we're going to see how that impacts or how that affects this extension of how the gospel went out and, and, and really how it has to do with impacts our calling and our purpose in life. Okay, so let's look at Acts chapter 8. Let's look at the first few verses here. It says, and Saul approved of his, speaking of Stephen's, execution. And the ro- there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentations over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entered house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. So here we are, we're introduced to Paul, or Saul actually, Saul for the first time. And we know that he is going to become the Apostle Paul. Yet before his conversion, which we're going to be looking at, actually we'll get to that passage probably at the beginning of um, 2020. Can you believe that? 2020! Holy cow, it's almost here in a couple weeks. So what we're going to be looking at that, uh, and we're going to see uh, how he, that we see here that Paul fully consents to Stephen's death. He has absolutely no problem. And really what this must have done, it's kind of like when you see something happen and someone like says, everybody's waiting, something happens and everybody's waiting to go, is that okay that that happened? They kind of need permission. And that's kind of what happened here. This gave permission for everybody that had anything against what the gospel stood for, what Jesus stood for, to really go all, go all out and oppress the message of the gospel, to, to really persecution. And really, we see that it not only does it lead to all out persecution, but Paul was going what? What is he going? Door to door. Could you imagine? Could you imagine what that would be like to have someone so against and, the, and so that high an official come into your house and going, I heard you're a believer. I heard you're a follower of Jesus. You're coming with me. You're going to jail. That just seems unfathomable to us, huh? But that's exactly what was happening. And people were being dragged to pre- prison. And we see the persecution resulted in the believers in Jerusalem. All the believers, it says, except for the disciples, scattered. They scattered into the neighboring uh, regions. Remember what Jesus told his followers? That they were to be his witnesses, not only in Jerusalem, but where? (laughs) And what we just just read. He said, be in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's beginning. And look what it took to make it happen. This isn't in my notes, but it's just really coming. How often do we work so hard to make our life comfortable? How hard do we work to make sure that our standing up for Christ a lot of times doesn't, we don't want to offend anybody. And we really want to be comfortable in our faith. Yet we look at here, not that God always is going to do this, but look what God used in order to spread the gospel throughout the world. Persecution. Suffering. We know that that's a part of the game, right? We know that Jesus has told us. 
You're going, if you want to follow me, you're going to suffer. But I don't know about you, but I, I'm adverse to any kind of suffering. I think that's just our nature. But this shows us that we can welcome suffering when it is brought about by being in God's will, by sharing his love with other people. Okay, now, this scattering leads everybody over now. This obviously, if we're going to see, has the exact opposite um, result and effect that the persecution was meant to have, okay? The exact opposite is going to happen. We actually see here that all these believers were actively involved in spreading the good news as they went. Isn't that cool? It's like, we got to leave. Okay, we got to leave. But hey, by the way, we got to leave. But hey, we got to tell you the best news in the world. We got to, and it's just spread. It's just oozing out throughout the, throughout the country. It's just going and going. That had to be such a cool thing. Although that these people were forced to flee from what was comfortable and what was familiar to them, they didn't allow their difficult circumstances to change the way that they saw their calling. They didn't allow the difficult situation, circumstances to change the way that they saw their purpose in life. Okay, this is terrible. This is hard. We're almost, we're, we could die. But we're, we're just going to keep, if we can't do it here, we'll just do it there. See their mindset? What an incredible mindset that was. They knew that they were going to be witnesses to, to Christ no matter where they were. No matter where. No matter what circumstances, they were going to be witnesses for Christ. Number one on your notes, it says, what these early believers teach us is that our priority in life is to be about being a faithful witness for Christ wherever we are. And I know we know that. It's one of those no duh. But do we remember wherever we find ourselves, anywhere, the office, the store, at Starbucks, in our neighborhood, at school, anywhere where we find ourselves. That's what this helps us to see, that we are always on mission, always. It doesn't take a break. We never say, I'm on, on vacation. Have you ever found yourself? Some of you have even found yourself. Have you ever found, my wife and I, we went on a, a river cruise, as many of you know, a couple years ago. She had saved up since we were both two years old, I think, to make that happen. And we went on this river, and it was amazing how we were praying, God, help us to stay on mission on this vacation. And we thought, nothing's going to happen, whatever. By the time this, this vacation was over, we had, had had the opportunity to talk with so many people about Jesus. Not because we led that. It, it just, he opened up these opportunities and we saw like, oh, oh, I still remember to this day, I still remember leaving, departing from the airport because they drop off everybody at the airport and everybody kind of leaves. The same. I still recall having conversations about God up until we went through security. And it, went, and it wasn't anything that we did. We were having with, with, with believers, even non-believers occasionally on the trip. It was just like, and people were being encouraged in, our, in their faith. It was, it was mind-boggling. I didn't expect it at all. But it was that mindset of, I'm on, I am on mission. It doesn't take away. I can still relax on my vacation. But I am on mission. So that was a really, so it happened. Some of you have had that uh, happen before as well. Now, we actually get to see what being a witness for Christ kind of practically looks like in at least one of the people's lives. We get a little narration here of what happens, okay? Look at verse 5. It says, now Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. 
And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. So here we see a man named Philip. He was one of these people that scattered, okay? And he goes to a city in the region of Samaria. And what does he do? He just stays on mission. And his mission, he knew that this is the newest, this is amazing thing. This is, a, this is, a, this is world changing. I'm going to just share it as I, as I go. So that's what he's doing. But Philip does goes even beyond that. God uses him in many ways. Because remember, like Stephen... Philip was a Greek Jew, okay? He had, be- and he had become a believer. And remember, also like Stephen, if you remember, uh, Philip was one of those seven guys that was chosen to help out. Remember the problem they were having with the, with the widows not being taken care of in the church? He was also one of those seven guys. So this guy understood it. This guy had already been living a life on mission. This guy already realized, I need to be in the game somehow. Using my gifts, using my talents, how God wants, wherever I am. So he's already accustomed to this. So we see that he jumps right on in. Now, it's important to understand that the Jews absolutely hated the Samaritans. Okay? They hated them. And the feeling was mutual. There's a whole long thing if you want to find out how that all happened. But they have a very troubled history between these two uh, groups of people. The, the Samaritans were kind of these people that intermarried with other, um, other uh, people and other, they had other races and they had different ancestry. And they were seen by the Jews as being unfaithful to the Jewish customs and, and the traditions. And so really at that time, at this time, the Jews and the Samaritans did everything possible to avoid one another. You've even heard the stories of how if you want to, if you're a Jew and you wanted to travel, go this way through Samaria, you went around. You would take double the time. You did not get, that's what the, how the animosity was. But yet here's where we find Philip sharing the love of Jesus to anybody that would listen. And listen, they did. Isn't this amazing? We see that when they heard that he had what he had to say and saw the miracles that he was performing, not only did the people pay attention, not only were they listening, but what does it say about the, of the whole city? The whole city was filled with joy. They were just like, what? This is true? This is, this is what we've been waiting for. This amazing message. Yet what we're going to see is Philip wasn't the only person attracting attention in this town. Check out the next bunch of verses here. Verse 9 says this. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God. This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God, and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing the signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. So now we're introduced to a new guy, Simon the magician. He's this powerful magician. There's no doubt that he probably possessed some form of some dark power, and he used them to persuade people to think that he was something great. Look, they thought he was a god. 
I mean, take that, David Copperfield. I mean, they thought this guy was a god. He was so amazing. And here's the thing, just a little side thing, but number two on the side kind of, there's, there will always be people and things that people are drawn to or in awe that seem to be obstacles to them knowing the truth of the gospel, yet actually fall way short of what people are really in need and ultimately looking for. Isn't that so true in our society? Do you ever look, and you maybe even catch yourself, but do you ever look and you see what people are just so in awe of? What they're so, bless you, what they're so enamored by, what, what is just so amazing. Maybe you were that way at one time when, oh my gosh, that is so amazing. Or here's something kind of trivial. My horoscope told me that I'm going to meet or whatever. And you, this is stuff that you went to and, and now you're just going, huh? What? That was so empty. Or just anything else. The world is enamored, and the enemy's going to do that. He's going to get the world to be enamored with anything. Any, I mean, how many followers? Think about how, and this isn't bad, but think about how many followers like the Kardashians and Taylor Swift and all these different people have because we're we just enamored by what do they got to say? What are they, what's the look? What's the new? What's the, what's the thing? And then what we're, but what we're seeing here, what this kind of shows us is Simon was doing that very thing. People were like, whoa, I'm going to follow that guy. But then the gospel comes along. And even the guy, this is the Kanye West story kind of right here, isn't it? <laughs> even the guy's like, oh, oh, I, I was wrong. I was, I, was, I was wrong. I was wrong there. So we see that even Simon's divine power is no match for the power of the gospel. None whatsoever. Even Simon himself believes, and I love it, and he was immediately baptized. You guys, we know this, but we need to remember this, that nothing matches the power of the gospel. No matter how big it seems, it might seem like a tidal wave of power, a tidal wave of opposition. Nothing is more powerful than the message of the gospel. Nothing. The good news that Christ gives us an opportunity, what he has done to have a relationship with the living God and be indwelled by his Holy Spirit. Nothing. But it sure feels like it sometimes, doesn't it, in the society we live in. Problem is here, we're soon going to see, soon we're going to see the depth or the nature of Simon's belief. We're going to see that it will soon come into question. Okay, it's soon going to come into question, like we've seen a lot of times with people. But first, we're going to see that word gets back to Jerusalem, to the apostles. Something amazing has happened in Jerusalem. You got to check this out. Look what happens in verse 14. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen in any, on any of them. But they, had been, but they had only been baptized in the name of Je Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So the apostles send Peter and John to investigate all that's happened while they've been reported. And when they see that the people truly have believed, they lay hands on them, and they receive the Holy Spirit. Now, don't get confused here. A lot of times with Scripture, it's easy to go somewhere and say, okay, see, this shows that the, the coming of the Holy Spirit is a second work. 
And we'll use that passage. We've got to see things in the context of what they are and why they're happening. It's not that the people couldn't receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit without the laying on of the hands of the apostles. That's not what this is saying here. Becoming a Christian and receiving the Spirit, as we know, is one event. We put our faith in Christ and we see we receive God's gift of both forgiveness and the Holy Spirit. It's all one event. It happens all at once. So this experience, what we're seeing here, is really with the Samaritans, this is not the norm, okay? So why though? Why would God do this? Why would the Spirit be withheld when they came to faith? Well, think back at what we talked about, about the Jews and the Samaritans. It was because of this great division between the Jews and the Samaritans that had lasted for centuries. You see, this was a critical moment in history of God dealing with his people. You see, the Samaritans, these people that people just thought, these are dogs. They are being evangelized and they're responding to the gospel. It was meant to be this, oh my gosh, an occasion for great joy, but also there was a lot of danger here. What would happen now? What now? Would this intense rift that was between the Jews and the Samaritans, would it continue? The gospel was welcomed by the Samaritans, but would the Samaritans be welcomed by the Jews? Big question. Would there be two different churches? Fine. You guys got Jesus. That's awesome. We're glad for you. Start the Samaritan church. We'll have the one in Jerusalem. We do that a lot, don't we? We, I, there's, okay, there's just certain things that we just can't agree on. So we're just going to... This is why this happens. If God hadn't withheld his spirit until the apostles arrived, it's possible that both groups could have found Jesus without finding each other. Okay, how important that would be. There had to be a delay for the apostles to come up to Samaria to confirm what had occurred. And when they arrive, they, they find everything is just like they had been described to them. The believers were genuine, but they hadn't received the Holy Spirit. So the apostles laid hands on them and, and, and they received the Holy Spirit. And what this was was a confirmation that the Samaritans were not second-class believers, they were part of the church. The very apostles came and said, yes, you're in. We're together in this. Number three on your notes, that's just what the gospel does. The gospel has the power to bring those who were once on opposite sides together. Some of you have even seen that happen. On opposite sides together. Side note here, oh my gosh, my wife and I watched this amazing movie. Sue, thank you for sharing this movie with us. I can't remember what it's called. Um, Sheep and... Sheep Among Wolves, exactly. It's about how so many, uh, really there's a, uh, an explosion of the gospel happening in Iran. And how what is, what is happening with the Iranian Christians and the, the Jewish and the Jewish people and their view of the Jewish people is changing drastically because of Jesus. I mean, it's, it's an amazing to see how God, because it's hard for us to think of, you know, we have family members that we say, I'm not going to talk to you, things like that. 
And the power of God to do that. We know the gospel can bring that together. We've seen it happen. Think about how, because if, if God can bring people that in a region that absolutely hate each other, which we know is happening right now in our world, but was happening as just as bad, if not worse, back then, could he not bring the power of the gospel, bring family members together, friends together, people groups together? That seemed like we have such incredible differences. Really, you can negotiate all you want, but it's really the message of the gospel, the love of Christ, that is going to be the thing that is going to bring people together. We can work as hard as we want, and we need to. But ultimately, it's going to be the message of the gospel. Now, while all this is happening, Simon's looking on. Simon's looking going, woof, this is amazing. He's very impressed. Look at what happens in verse 18. Now, when Simon saw that the spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in in the gall of bitterness. There's a phrase we don't use a lot. The gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. So so seeing what the apostles are doing, laying on of hands, it has a huge impact on the Simon the magician. And so wishing to have this same ability to distribute the Holy Spirit as the disciples does, he offers to pay for the privilege. He says, oh, I'll I'll, I'll pay for that any day. That's that's an investment worth taking, what's going after. Simon doesn't understand, though. He doesn't understand the very basic principle. And we know this, but number four on your notes there. The Holy Spirit is given to people as a result of his sovereign work and is a gift from God. Okay? It's his work. We don't do that. That's his. We can know. What a great thing to be able to tell someone, too. Those of you that have become Christians and in your adulthood, you know what, this, you know what that, that's like to all of a sudden things change. Your mindset changes. The way you view things absolutely changes because the Holy Spirit has entered your life and given you a whole new outlook on life and how and circumstances on all sorts of things. Isn't it beautiful to be able to know that we can let people know that that's available? That is available to everyone. It's so amazing. This request, though, that Simon makes is actually a sign of his old nature coming through, big time. It reveals really this remaining root of superstition and, and self-seeking. That, that, that phrase, gall and bitterness, it, refer, it refers really to his, his poisonous and bitter attitude that he has. It's an attitude that risks him from missing out on all God's blessing for him. You know... I don't know if you've seen this before, but I have. This is really a pitfall that I feel like um, many new believers, as they begin to navigate their newfound faith, can oftentimes fall into, is still bringing all that extra baggage in and kind of trying to mix it all, trying to mix it all in. 
And to me, this just shows us how deeply important it is for when people come to know Christ, to have people come alongside them, to join them in the journey and say, let me help you. Let me come alongside you. If you know someone that comes a Christian, if you don't know that anybody's coming alongside them, pray and ask the Lord, should I be doing that? Actually, you know what? Just do it. Because they're going to need you to help them to understand, to unpack that old baggage a little bit. Sure, the Holy Spirit's going to guide them and lead them, but they're going to need a mature believer to come alongside them and show them and help them to understand what the gospel really says, okay? Oftentimes, we see people that they make a profession of faith, yet they never truly surrender their their worldly or their sinful desires or attitudes over to the Lord, but they need to understand because they don't come to a place oftentimes where they understand the truths of Scripture necessary to help them to produce fruit. Remember fruit, what's the result of knowing that someone truly is a believer? Is it because they wrote a prayer, I wrote it down, there's the date. No, it's the fruit in their life. But we need to help people, help people to understand what that's all about. We think, oh, God's got them now, they're good. They're in God's hands, great, come to church, see you later. But we forget the enemy is now just on them like crazy and they need our help. I just got done reading a book called The Cry for Spiritual Mothers and Fathers. Really great. It's really impacted me, the whole idea of how vital it is for us that have been walking with the Lord to see ourselves as spiritual mothers and fathers, even when we're really young, even in high school, to be able to see ourselves as spiritual mothers and fathers that come along and assist in raising up in maturity young believers. It's vital, and I think we've got away from that so much in the church. We say, come to church plug in, you'll be good. And we forget there's more to it than that. See, unless Simon's attitude changes through repentance or he changes the way of thinking, remember we talked about repentance, really it's a spiritual about face. Unless he makes that spiritual about face, he is not a true partaker of the Holy Spirit and really has no share in the body of Christ. So this is a dangerous place he's in. Now, we see that they say this, and he's just terror-stricken. What? What are you saying? You know, may your money basically, in a sense, not in a sense, literally what uh, he, but Peter tells him is to hell with you and your money. That's what he's saying. You be cursed, you and your money. That's what he's saying, to hell with your money, literally, and this attitude that you're having here, because that is so far off from the truth here. So what does he do? He says, instead of praying, he goes, you do it. Just do it. I don't know what to do. You do it. Now, we don't know what that means. Is that, that could either mean that um, he, do, he didn't really repent. He didn't have a uh, walk with Christ at all or a relationship with Christ. Or maybe it just simply means he recognizes Peter's incredible wisdom and power and says, I need you to pray for me. We don't know. Was, did Simon ever become a follower of Jesus? Doesn't say. We don't know. But he was in a very dangerous place here, and he needed someone to tell him the truth and to help him see what was right. All right, let's look how it ends. Last verse. Verse 25 says, now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. 
So after spending some time teaching the, the word to these new believers, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem. But what do they do? They didn't say, our mission, okay, mission's done. Put our head down. Let's get home. It says, no, all the while they preach the gospel to the Samaritans as they go. As they're going, once again, they are seeing themselves as witnesses for Christ wherever they are. Great, we had a great revival. We had a great thing. We did a great thing. But that doesn't mean we put our, everything in our back pocket and just get home and see what's next. No, we're always on. We're always ready. We're always ready to give an answer. So, so what does this have to do with us? What does this scattering of the early church do to this persecution that results in the expansion of the preaching of the gospel beyond Jerusalem? What does it teach us today? Well, number five on your notes, what we can learn from this is that ultimately our mission is to be witnesses for Jesus requires, it requires each one of us sees ourselves as scattered missionaries. We are all scattered missionaries, scattered, like we already talked about, scattered throughout the neighborhoods. We should see ourselves as, okay, we come to the coastside, we call coastside our church, but really we're scattered missionaries throughout Pacifica or wherever you live. We're scattered missionaries throughout our office buildings that we're in. We're scattered missionaries at the playground with our kids and other kids and their moms. We're scattered plague in our, in our, all over the place. That's what we are, even in our homes. Please do not make the assumption, parents, that just because your kids are growing up in a Christian home, going to maybe going to a Christian school, that they own their faith. My experience tells me that very few teenagers truly own their faith. That's not a slam on teenagers at all. That's not a slam. But very few truly own it because they're still trying to figure out who they are. And the, the spiritual piece is just as big a piece of that as well. I, I told someone the other day, it's just like, I always, view, when you view teenagers, it's like they're always putting on a new shirt and taking, on, it's, and taking it off, trying to see, okay, who am I? What am I about? What am I? And they're doing that with their spirituality. They're doing that with their faith as well. So don't just assume my kids have been going to church. My kids, it's all good. We are missionaries at home as well. Showing them what it truly means by the way we live our life and by speaking the gospel, the truth of the gospel, into their life and into their situations. Even if they do the teenage oh, eye roll. Whatever. That's okay. Whatever. That's a teenage thing too. Whatever. Um, but yeah, we are missionaries even in our homes. Some of you may be called to be scattered in other regions or other states due to a job change or other circumstances or retirement. You, you are still scattered missionaries. Some of you might even go to a foreign country as missionaries. The truth is that ultimately we're all missionaries wherever God has it. Who said bloom wherever you're planted? Who said that? Wherever you're, bloom wherever you're planted is whoever the author. That's the, what we're supposed to do. Bloom in a sense as missionaries. This is where God has me. This is my mission field. This is my home, my neighborhood, my office, my job site, whatever. These are places where I am a missionary. I, I wanted to put this up on the screen here. It says, often we think that um, of a missionary, we think of someone who goes to a spiritually dark place, leaving friends and loved ones, and all the comforts of home behind, all for the sake of directly or indirectly introducing people to the good news of the gospel. That's kind of my explanation of why, kind of how we, a lot of times, see a missionary. But I want to break, take the last few minutes here and just kind of break this down. 
Break, the, break this thought down. So first it says a missionary is someone who goes to a spiritually dark place. Now, how would you describe a spiritually dark place? <laughs> yeah. I, you know, when I think of a spiritually dark place, I think anywhere where there's ignorance or indifference or even hostility towards the gospel. Sound like any place you know? <laughs> yes, of course it does. It's where we all live and work and play and hang out. How about the idea here of leaving friends and loved ones and all the comforts of home behind? Isn't that exactly what Jesus has called us all to do? Look at what he told the crowd of people as they were beginning to follow him. Look at what Jesus said. This is harsh. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, obviously, Jesus isn't demanding that we literally hate our family members. That's not what he's saying. He's using hyperbole here to illustrate the extreme cost of following him. Any, any prospective follower of Jesus must be glad to give up everything, to sell everything in order to have him as their highest treasure. That's what he's saying here. I read a pastor this, this week, he, he said this, he said, our affections for Christ must be of such an intensity and quality that by comparison, all other loves seem like hate. Wow. I look at that and I go, do I? Can I even? That's not something I can do on my own. I can't do that on my own. That's impossible. I need the power of the gospel. To help me to love Jesus so much that in comparison, I can't imagine that. But that's what the power of the gospel does as we submit our lives to him. Last one on your notes, quite literally. Oh, wait, actually, I, want, I got ahead of myself. The word missionary, I just want to break this down. Missionary comes from the Latin word which means to send, okay? It means to send, which in turn comes from the Greek word, but also means to send, like send an envoy, okay, for a special commission. So I want to add this to the whole thing. Number six on your notes. A missionary is someone sent by Jesus just as he was sent by the Father. Okay, we are sent. It's one thing to say, yeah, I'm here to be domo, but we are sent out. We are told to go. Remember when Jesus, when he appeared to his followers, followers after the resurrection, remember what he says? As my father has sent me, what? Even so, I'm sending you. This is what I'm doing. I'm not just giving you this great gift of salvation, the Holy Spirit. He said, as soon as the Holy Spirit's going to come, enjoy him. No, he said, the Holy Spirit's going to come and you're going to be my witnesses. I'm sending you out. Okay? This means that we're all sent ones. And don't, and don't miss this. We are all sent ones, sent to be witnesses for Christ and to make disciples, not because God needs us to do it. God's not up there wringing his hands going, what do I do? What do I do? How do I get these people to... No, we, are, we looked at last week how God is completely self-sufficient and never dependent on human hands for humans for anything. Yet we are sent... Because God has chosen to invite us into this great work of redeeming mankind to himself. Isn't that amazing? Have you ever just stopped and just thanked God, said, 
thank you that you've invited me to be a part of redeeming mankind to you. Oh my goodness, that's amazing. Because that's the truth. That not only has he chosen us to be sent to be his witness, really this is a command. He has commanded us, tell us this is what we are to do. Yet this, it's a command, it's a, and it's our calling, it's our purpose in life that we gladly do. I love, the, and a great example of that is the prophet Isaiah. Remember when he said that, when he wrote this? And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for, who will go for us? And then Isaiah looked around and couldn't see anybody, and he was waiting and waiting. Is anybody going to volunteer? No. He said, I'm here. Send me. Not because I'm so brave, not because I've got it all together. Uh, what else could? I, why, what else would I do? That this is what I'm. This is my calling in life. If we're going to truly be faithful followers of Jesus, willing to embrace our true calling in life, our true purpose, the thing that's going to make us most fulfilled, and the per- for being His witness, we need to see ourselves as scattered and sent missionaries. Now, I know I've gone a little bit long too, but we're going to do a couple questions here. And the first question, what I want to do is I want to, I want you to just kind of discuss amongst yourselves a little bit, just turn to a couple people by you, by two or three, two or one or two people by you. And then I want to hear, hear some back from you. Here's the first, here's the first question. I want you to think about it. What might the mindset of a person who understands they are scattered and sent missionary look like in everyday life. Remember, what mindset or this way of thinking, remember, a mindset is a way that we think that, it, that causes us to react in a certain way when, when we're approaching situations and people. So what might the mindset of a person who understands that they're scattered and sent missionary look like in everyday life? What are some things that how this person might be thinking, how they might be approaching things, all that. Go ahead. Talk to the people around you for a minute. Or you don't know. That's fine, too. All right, let's hear a couple. Let's hear a couple. What might be the mindset or way of thinking a person who understands that they are a scattered and sent missionary look like in everyday life? Let's just hear a couple. Yeah, Sue. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's a, yeah, it's like anything that you would know that is coming up, possibly. You're ready. Yeah, good. You're, you're prepared. Yeah. What else? Yeah. 
Ah, great. Good point. Good one. What else? <laughs> Not a great mindset. <laughs> yeah. What else? What else? What are some possible way of thinking that could really show that we understand that we are sent and scattered? Yeah, Lisa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, yes, things, yeah, I love that word you use, Op- seeing things as opportunities, kind of like that ties kind of with Kathy's saying too, seeing things as not, oh, well, that's how it turned out, seeing them as opportunities that God might have to use me, to see I, I, or to shape me, whatever. One thing that stuck me when I was thinking is the whole idea, I think a lot of times we're not very good at this, but it gives us more of a mindset of being a listener, don't you think? Don't you think? Because um, really, some of the best ways to witness to somebody and to share the love of Christ with someone is to shut your mouth and open your ears. <laughs> you know, sometimes it, that really starts there because then you understand where they're coming from and where Jesus can truly, where their biggest felt need to speak Jesus into that. Because remember, this isn't about us learning how to be pros at sharing all the details of our faith that I got the four spiritual laws down. All those things are good. And I think, I believe that we should all be prepared to share our faith at a moment's notice. But remember, you're sharing your story. You're sharing what Jesus has done for you. But listening to people, you know, but people that don't listen to people are the ones that are thinking, I got the four spiritual laws memorized, I got whatever, and as soon as they open, as soon as they I get a chance, I'm going <laughs> to throw those in there. Chances are they're going to go, whoop, whoop. So really, see how, you see how a mindset is so vital? Having our mind in the right place. So this is how you and I need to be praying. When we have our quiet times, when we spend time with the Lord, we need to be asking him every day, God, give me the mindset of Christ. Give me a mindset that you can use however you want to witness for Christ. And this last one, I just want you to think about this. this other question. What comforts, familiarities, or priorities might God be asking you to surrender to him in order to best be a witness for Jesus? Remember the scattered people, they had to leave everything that was comfortable Everything that they understood, everything that was familiar, yet they still, that, yet that is what allowed the gospel to go beyond Jerusalem. I want you to think just for a minute, and as we go into communion in just a minute, I want you to think about that as well. What is it? What comfort? What, the, what is it that you're familiar with or something that's a real high priority of yours that God might be asking you to surrender to him? so that you could truly be the best witness for Christ. For me, I put for mine, just I'll just share mine. I said, oftentimes my need for, I need refuge, or I need my space, or I need, here's what I know, how much I can give and how much I can't give as far as my time and my energy. I need to surrender that to the Lord. (laughs) I need to surrender my schedule. I need to surrender that and say, he is sovereign. He's going to use me how he wants to use me. Come on up, Chris. We'll I'm going to do some communion. I, I just want to encourage you uh, during this time as we remember what Jesus did for us by dying for us, 
We don't have to leave this time this morning thinking, oh, I'm not, I can't be a witness. You're right. <laughs> you can't. But Jesus, through you and the power of the Holy Spirit, watch out. Because when we're weak, right? When we're weak, that's what I, I have those, I have that first tattooed on my body. Literally, I have it tattooed on my body. When I am weak, I am strong because I have to remind myself. It's not about my skills. I need to continually surrender to him in order to be a witness for him. Jesus, we're grateful for your sacrifice for us. God, we are amazed that you invite us into this amazing opportunity to help bring people to you, God. And it is our calling. It is our purpose. I pray for every one of us here, God, that you would help us to lean into you for that, to set aside our fears, to set aside our, the things that we feel like we need for life to go our way so that, God, we could truly be witnesses for Jesus wherever we are, God. That's our desire. Help us. We need your help, God, to do that. And we're so thankful that on the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he broke it and said, this is my body. It's for you. Take it. Do this in remembrance of me. And he took the cup and he said, this is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you do this, remember me. God, we desire to remember what you have done for us now. We're grateful in Christ's name. Come on up and take it as you will. There'll be Joe and Joe will be over here to pray. If anybody would like prayer during that time, I would encourage you to do that.